0: Hello and welcome. Thanks for listening. This is Embodied Astrology and I'm Renee Sills. In this episode, I'm speaking with Erin Aquarian and Edgar Fabian Frias. Erin is a full-time witch, tarot teacher, and multidisciplinary healing artist. Edgar is a queer, Latinx, multidisciplinary artist, curator, educator, and psychotherapist. I've been a big fan of both of their work for a long time, and I really appreciate the ways they engage with art, magic, and politics through the virtual space. In this episode, Aaron and Edgar share about the ways they've worked in their practices to claim their magic, own their power, and understand the world through lenses of mysticism and alchemy and connect with community and audiences across time and space. Before we get into the conversation, I want to offer a deep and heartfelt thank you to all of the Embodied Astrology subscribers. Your monthly donations make this podcast possible. If you like the show and want to be a contributor and get lots of cool subscriber perks, go to embodiedastrology.com forward slash subscribe.
1: Yeah, so if I definitely love turning towards the body, so if the three of us and anyone who's listening wants to just take a moment to kind of shift awareness towards the breath, towards the body, letting yourself drop into the heart holding this beautiful intention that we have here together in our hearts. I'd like to take a moment to name that I am living on occupied land of the Osage Muscogee Creek people, and that I'm also on the land of the Tulsa Race Massacre that happened in 1921. And I'm also on the land that is fertile, that is abundant, that is thriving in this moment with plants and animals as the spring is blooming here. So taking a deep breath. I'd like to offer a little bit of sage to the guides, to the ancestors, to cleanse and purify this space. May our work be in the highest good of all. May our work support the sovereignty, the strength, and the power of those who listen to this. Taking a moment to thank the sacred elements for being here in this ceremony with us. Inviting in the element of air Expansion, communication, the language of the birds And inviting in the energy of fire Power, strength, serpents Inviting in the energy of water, relationships, emotion, memory, depth. And then inviting in the energy of earth, our ancestors, our body, our bones the crystal kin. And then again, taking a deep breath here, turning inward, we invite in the element of spirit, asking spirit to be here with us in this work. Trusting in the great void, in the liminal, in the space of ultimate potential. And at this moment, I'd like to invite any guides, any ancestors, any plant, animal, crystalline kin that want to be here with us that our words and our presence may be of service and that we may bring some of their wisdom, some of their care into this podcast. And then taking one last deep breath, letting your awareness rest with your body for just a few more moments. Noticing any shifts, any changes here. Coming back, back into the room, back into the space.
2: I'd also like to read an acknowledgement. We acknowledge the land that supports us and that many of us reside on is territory stolen from Indigenous peoples. We acknowledge that many of the privileges we enjoy and resources we have access to are available to us at the past and present expense and exploitation of human and animal beings within our interconnected web of life. We ask for help to hold space for the complexity of this and to be guided in service of atonement. So since many people listening are listening from all over, just to acknowledge that if we're not indigenous to the lands that we're living on then we're all settlers um we are all guests but beyond that that what makes all of our existence possible acknowledging all of the sacrifices that that are made so that we can be here
0: i really appreciate that thank you thank you both so much and yeah, I really appreciate what, what both of you offered and Aaron, that invocation feels to me like this question that lives in me a lot of how to be in right relationship to ancestry and lineage, but also to land and feeling, you know, for myself, what it is to be a descendant of of settlers, of colonists, and also what it is to be a child of this land, to, to have been born and raised you know, in the United States, primarily in the Southwest and the Rocky Mountain region. And I feel such deep love for land, like the, the feeling that I have, like, li- like being in a natural landscape or connecting with rocks or trees or air or something is just unlike anything that I feel anywhere else. And I often have this question of like, how do I honor the knowing that I have that I'm part of this land? And then the momentum that comes through my ancestry and and the lineages that I carry. And so much of that momentum is um, erasure, you know, it's like a, a, an unknowing, a kind of ignorant entitlement. And to feel like part of how I have to honor both is educating myself. And what I, what I heard in that invocation that you just offered was, An invitation to educate oneself to really feel into like well where am I and who am I and what is the implication of of my place here yeah and that it is
2: nuanced Mm -hmm. it can be both be of the land that you were born on and present with the history of that land which is a part of my process having been born and raised in the pacific northwest which In Seattle, indigenous culture was very visible to me growing up and was also like a part of my like early education. But the kind of romanticized side of it and the colonist perspective, not the real accurate representation of what the indigenous experience was experiencing genocide and um, colonization. So the empathic part of me that knew that something was off, you know, when I would see like the rich cultural heritage in um, the Pacific Northwest versus like the real like class disparity of like who the homeless people were and whatnot, um, you know, it didn't seem right to me, but I had to educate myself, you know, to fill in the blanks because as like a middle-class white kid, uh, that wasn't what I was being taught to look for.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, something I really appreciate about what you named too, Erin, is that it speaks to the fact that we are deeply interwoven with those histories and that those histories are very much alive today and that there are many ways that we are being supported and held up by countless communities and people that are doing labor to keep us alive. And that, um, yeah, I think as an Indigenous person myself, I also was robbed of that information of my heritage growing up so i um it's something that i feel like i've been really working hard in my older you know in my in the last few years to try to get back to get to a place where i can understand who my people are and what our history is but i think it's yeah i definitely think about the tactics and tools and of kind of creating this erasure and obfuscation and also um, in many ways, like uh, making it difficult to access this information, you know, making it difficult to access a real understanding of what the, the true like legacies that you're really sitting on are like.
2: Well, something that I just want to mention that might be help- helpful for white folks to think about is seeking to, you know, explore and develop relationships to your pre-empire ancestors Uh, which was articulated for me on a podcast called Medicine Stories that um, is hosted by Amber Magnolia Hill. I really like that podcast. And she talks a lot about cultural appropriation and doing ancestor work for white people um, to connect back to your indigenous European ancestors. Those um, way back in the lineage before... Christianity colonized Europe so um, there's a lot of trauma in the you know ancestral lineage of what we now call white people and that's important healing work for us white people to do is to connect the dots and to know that like if we're here and we're alive we're actually doing that intergenerational healing work on behalf of our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and all of um, those people in our lineage too in addition to doing the reparations work for the privileges that we didn't earn so there's a lot of healing work to do but I definitely feel like it's been a process for me to be able to access any sense of ancestral support because there's just so much trauma in my lineage uh, and there's so much trauma that I've experienced like with my living family so um, it's a complex nuanced process and it's really worth doing
0: a lot of the um, kind of topics that were proposed for this episode um, I feel like really tie into this in terms of you know being your magic through a commitment uh, to healing and to deprogramming or re- reclaiming what's unique and what's genius that's inherent, you know, in your being or being sovereign and one's spirituality and stuff like this. I'm wondering how each of you have, have navigated these questions. Like how do you feel your magic being cultivated and, and grown through this awareness of ancestry and position?
1: I definitely feel, you know, for myself, there's been a lifelong connection to my ancestors, but I didn't really have the language or understanding of it. Um, They've definitely been wanting to speak with me and they have found ways to connect with me. And I think, you know, it's really allowed me to witness how important it is for myself to kind of really tune in to my own kind of what's happening within, right? What's happening in my body, what's happening in the etheric realms. And I think this is definitely something that has guided me into actually understand who my ancestors are. I feel like they've, through the work that they've done and kind of trying to get to me, they've really helped me finally kind of in the physical dimension, like create connect the dots to really help that kind of open up for me. But I, and I also want to name too that as a, you know, queer person, as also someone who does have deeply disrupted lines of of ancestry and and lineage, I've also really been so inspired by the work of folks of the African diaspora who have really kind of brought in this understanding of imagination and play um, and recreation when it comes to communing with our ancestors. And I think that that's like where that connects to the creative piece is that, so much of this system, this colonialist, capitalist, uh, white supremacist, patriarchal system, has really taught us that our imagination is not important, it's not valuable, or it's seen as a side thing. And really, I do feel like me being able to tap into my Im- imagination more and more has really expanded my awareness and allowed me to really commune so much more with my ancestors and also with other plants and animals and also with other people and like kind of realize that I'm able to astral project and. I'm able to self-diagnose myself or do a lot of things that I like wasn't aware that I could do. But that really it involved kind of me really honoring what was coming up for me and also really letting myself play. And I think that play for me has been such a powerful modality that I work with a lot. My ascendant is in Virgo, and I think I do have, like, a tendency to, like, want a lot of structure and like, want things to be a certain way, and so I'm really grateful for the chaos magic of my Scorpio moon and also, like, the Gemini kind of mutability and fluidity that allows kind of other elements to come in and disrupt that, like, need for structure, you know, and that those have been things that I have all really kind of really supported my own psychic and spiritual development.
0: Hmm. Can I say something quickly, just astrologically, about Virgo Ascendant? That puts Leo in the 12th house, and the 12th house is the place of communing with the unseen and and the spiritual realm. And of course, Leo is the energy of the child and the pure heart, you know, the pure, playful, expressive heart.
1: (laughs) Thank you for sharing that.
2: (laughs)
0: Thank you for sharing that. Uh, For me,
2: I've had to do so much trauma work to just be able to get to the doorway of connecting to ancestral lineage. Growing up, I had a lot of close family members die when I was young. And there's just not a lot of people left alive in my family that I can connect with. And the ones that are left alive, I can't connect with because it's a dysfunctional or abusive dynamic. So... I've very much had this experience of feeling like an orphan and feeling like I have no home and feeling like I have no place. And I don't know who my people are and I don't know where they came from and there's no way for me to get the stories. It's like my memories of the people that would have told me those stories are fading because they left the physical plane when I was too young to really try to learn from them I guess and so a lot of my path has just been about healing the like acute trauma of losing so many people and lacking support and lacking guidance and lacking love really and just kind of having this very complex abandonment experience that made it really hard for me to connect with humans and develop relationships and secure attachments. And all of this is very much a part of my work. And I think why it's important to me to create safe, inclusive spaces for people that are really uncomfortable (laughs) um, connecting with other humans for one reason or another. But I guess I work a lot with this idea of inheritance and what Has been left behind for me by, you know, my father and by my grandparents and these significant family members that I lost really young and creativity. I had to do a lot of trauma healing work to be able to get my creativity and my spirit back. So now that that channel is unblocked and flowing in like multiple avenues, that is how I work with them. But that's only really come out of the last couple of years. So it's like still pretty new for me. And I feel a lot of what I get to do is an honoring of what they didn't get to do, especially the women in my family who I don't know if, There's ever been a woman in my lineage for hundreds of years who's gotten to experience the kind of freedom that I feel I get to and the kind of self-determination that I get to. So I guess I think of my life as sort of like this living altar to them when I remember to think about it. And I often forget because, again, like I have this experience of feeling like I have no people. I forget that I have people. Mm
1: -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing that Erin. You know that something I really resonate with is that like feeling like you're um someone who has to be. I think this kind of connects me to the higher fat energy too is like you're having to be this like representative of a group of people and I think I remember you know, at a very young age and like seeing how my parents were really afraid of white people and like were really afraid to speak with them and of course that has to do with like power differentials and dynamics and like I just remember being young and thinking to myself like one i don't want to be afraid and two like i want to help kind of be a bridge and help be a bridge to like connect and like bring together and and i definitely feel like a lot of the own trauma work and like work that I've had to do on myself has been to unlearn a lot of these ideas and maybe projections that like were put into me of like who I was supposed to be or not supposed to be. And like, I can really resonate with that feeling of not having power, not feeling like you belong in certain situations and like having to really work through that trauma to get to a place where you're like, I do belong in certain spaces. I do deserve to take up space and to like my creativity my channelings are important and people should see them or understand them or or experience them um and I think you know last year I had my first solo show at a museum and it was this really beautiful experience because my parents never go to art museums because they are like really afraid of them and like think that they're really like alienating and so It was the first time that they came and saw like an art show of mine and they actually felt welcomed and they were very nervous but they were you know very much like were present and it was this feeling of like wow i'm like the first person of my whole entire lineage that's ever been like brought into a museum space and like that to me was like a really powerful moment of like kind of feeling that some of that ancestral wounding get worked on and like yeah and so I definitely feel like we are here to do a lot of timeline work because these hierarchies and these power differentials have been so so problematic and have wounded so many people and taken us away from our bodies and from our divine intuition and so yeah and I think that that's like where that that interconnectedness is of us doing our own work, right? Is that the more we have done this work on ourselves, the more we've been able to really tap in and open up to these channels. Cause I can fully relate to that feeling of not feeling like you're tapped in until you start to do some of that deep trauma work and then these channels open up. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can relate to what you're saying as well. I think a lot of my ancestry Are people who have been running from things like I have a a strong Jewish Eastern European ancestry and Holocaust survivors and kind of a a very strong persecution fear and mentality and on my mom's side definitely in the women not through the Jewish descent but through the feminine descent in Christianity you know a feeling of having to stay small and um, really a lot of fear and without consciously knowing that that's what I was doing in the last 10 years since really diving into deep somatic practice and like coming into awareness with parts of my being that hold fear but like I'll meet them and on one level it feels like mine because these are patterns that I've felt my whole life and they're familiar but then in this other way like when I confront that energy it's it's so clearly not just mine. Like it has this resonance to it that I've always been aware that it's like, what is this? Like it feels almost like a foreign entity taking up space in my body, um, but really like creating pattern in my body. And then through the process of becoming more familiar with it and working with it and understanding how these physical energetic patterns become part of my like perception you know i think people hate me or like i'm scared to speak or have this idea of like what's going to make me a worthwhile human being on the planet or something like that like as i work with these patterns it's like i feel more freedom coming into my body and feel more creative more confident and and things like this and I think only in the last few years through you know community like this like with people who are actively engaging with magic and metaphysics learning the language of like ancestral healing and reclaiming it started to make a lot of sense to me that that's what that process was that that's what was happening
2: doesn't it feel like each year over the last eight or so years has been its own lifetime (laughs) (laughs) Totally. I mean, I think that that's expansion, you know, is that we've all expanded multidimensionally over the last 10 years or so. I don't know, like, I would say that my growth had kind of plateaued, you know, my growth as an adult was just plateaued until I moved to Portland and started experiencing this Deepening and this expansion to my being. And it was through feeling this sense that I was a witch. And I didn't know what that meant at the time, but it was just this portal, this archetype that pulled me into it and had once been kind of random senses that passed through my awareness of like a spirit connection or a connection to the earth or a call that I didn't know was a call like those just started coming more quickly and I'd started to choose it more so I just feel that 11 years of linear time it's not a lot of time and it is a long time at the, at the same time but just how things have sped up over the last few years with the internet and with social media and how interconnected we all become and how we've been able to exchange so much information and practice and perspective that helps support this growth and this healing that we're all doing and also normalize it.
0: I'm really curious about how each of you have um, found this intersection between your art practices and your magic practices and I love that both of you have um, really engaged with the internet as a place to do spell work that, you know, I, I love watching both of your feeds on Instagram. Um, a lot of the posts that you make are spells. Edgar, I know you're working a lot with ritual and ceremony through the virtual space and Aaron, you are as well. And yeah, I'm curious about, you know, you're both, as far as I can tell, very much children of like, the kind of crossover into the millennial generation you know your aesthetics are super informed by video art and it feels like fun and engaging and not at all like the kind of pastel colored woo that i you know often would relate to like the way that people were sharing magic through media and stuff would you share the ways that you're thinking about art and magic where maybe they're the same thing or how you feel your practice is intersecting? Well,
2: as my like creativity was resuscitated from being like a dead part of me, you know, it, it's like my path is so much about just integrating and like collecting all of my like shattered parts that have been lost across like my own timeline of trauma Um, and the many traumas that I've experienced that were personal but also just as being a human in this fucked up paradigm. So my creativity is like this space for me to repurpose everything that I've ever uh, like absorbed or experienced in my lifetime and lifetimes and you know, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. I loved watching TV. I still love watching TV and movies like I'm an AV person. You know, like I don't lose myself in books like some people do. Like I really lose myself in like watching something or listening to something, experiencing something. And so When I learned how to use video as a medium, which is really only a year ago, I was taking my first editing class and it was a very simple three-part editing class. It just gave me this space to communicate, you know, to put what's in my head all the time. Because my head is like holding all of these things that I've seen And I'll just think of, like, a commercial that I saw in the 80s or, like, a jingle that I heard in the 80s and then be like, oh, like, I want to use that for this thing or this idea. Uh, So I'm still understanding how my creativity works, but we all grew up programmed by the TV and movies that we grew up watching, which were... Uh, Before I dropped out of college, I was very much interested in representation and race and gender and class and representation in the media. Those were the classes that I was seeking out and learning a lot about how television and how movies, like over the course of that existing, were used to brainwash everybody to create, like you know, racial or gender stereotypes to reinforce these divides amongst people and to reinforce the power dynamics, the race and class power dynamics. So I'm really interested in creating programming for a new paradigm and sort of using these mediums that were used to brainwash us into being subordinate and complicit and play into these oppressive power dynamics, especially if you're a person of privilege I'm really into like flipping and repurposing and creating, you know, positive brainwashing is like a a term that I like to use and, and using all of these different mediums to support healing and liberation, not just for the personal, but for the collective, you know, because that's also part of our work in this time is to realize that it's our responsibility to think beyond just ourselves and our individual healing so I guess that was kind of like a long-winded Aquarius tangent, but um, that's where I'm at right now with, you know, how my art intersects with my magic and my intention as a healer and as a space holder. That's the agenda that I'm trying to create uh, ways of engaging with that heaviness in a that's fun, enjoyable, entertaining.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, I 100% agree. And I think that, you know, you've kind of brought up the word trauma a couple of times. And I think about how trauma sometimes necessitates like multiple experiences to like kind of really work itself through. And I think so many ways, I think, feel like art has been like a powerful sanctuary for my own trauma and also a powerful sanctuary where I could kind of bring into it what needs to be brought into it. Um, And I feel like from an early age, I kind of I've been someone who's loved art in kind of the way art was taught to me in a sense even though I from a young age was very much alienated from it because I was always told that I was really messy or didn't do it right quote unquote. so I always loved it, though, even though I was pushed away from it. Um, And I'm so grateful that at one point in my life, I I was kind of taken from my school to visit an art museum. And this was around the age of 14. And I was sitting in front of an art piece. It was a contemporary art piece. It was the first time I ever had seen contemporary art. I didn't even know what it was. but what i did know was that i was sitting in front of this art piece it was a sculpture and i like had my first like kind of -of out-of-body experience i had my first like altered state experience And since that moment, I feel like I've understood that art is a portal, art is a magical spell that speaks beyond time and space and beyond language, and that you're able to really imbue energy into art practice, like you are able to imbue energy into spells or into many things, right, into food, into your relationships, into your connections. And since that moment, I really have witnessed the power of art practice and the art, as a medium has really transformed my life. It saved my life in many ways, just like how magic has saved my life and witchcraft. And that's even like when Erin and I met, the reason I was wanting to do the Not enough festival was because I was drinking a lot of alcohol back then and I wanted to start to create spaces where that wasn't the case or where we could actually center our kind of community around creativity instead of around drinking and partying, which was a lot of what I had been sold as a queer person was like what my like was supposed to be like. And, you know, I do feel like this really powerful relationship and magic has existed for centuries. It's been so many, like my own, like indigenous background, and so many queer people have never seen a difference between art and magic. And you know, the way that, like, as queer people, our identities, our self, our even the stories and the ways that we live our life is an art practice. Because I know for myself, I was cast out of the heteronormative narrative. Uh, from a very early age, so I had to create a whole other narrative, like, what is giving me meaning? What is giving me a feeling of connection, of hope? And so for me, like, that's, I see those as very deeply interwoven in my life. They both are a part of the same kind of Fabric And I definitely really um, echo a lot of what Erin was saying around working with art as a medium to support people's awakening, opening, and deprogramming because there are billions of dollars put into these systems that are wanting to program people. And I think, It's also been a a big reason why in my creative practice when I work socially with people, I love supporting folks and connecting back with their sense of intuition because to me that's like what's the most magical of when I work with people is like witnessing what emerges from people because people have, have such a deep intuitive drive and I think lots of us are kind of taken away from that at an early age or told that that's not important or kind of, you know, are force fed something else that really kind of minimizes or creates noise around that divine intuition. And so, for me, that that's also been a big part of my own creative practices, finding ways to support others to return to that, and then and celebrating it, and saying like, "Yes, I want to see your divine intuition, show it to me. I want to celebrate it."
2: Mm-hmm. Me too. And as you were talking, I just had this like aha moment about how temperance connects to the hierophant, and I just saw like, for those who aren't familiar with tarot you can put the tarot archetypes in numerology constellations and the Hierophant is number five and Temperance is 14. So Temperance is part of the Hierophant constellation and Temperance is also known as art in other decks. And I usually think of Temperance as healing and through like having this conversation and hearing you articulate these things, I'm seeing how your personal like path of creativity, you know, is so essential to your healing and to your expansion and your ascension, or to our expansion and ascension. And that needs to be so personal and individual because you know we have been conditioned in this very homogenous way that really puts a block on, you know, creativity and then corrals us into this very like um, mass-produced kind of cookie cutter clone culture where our creativity and intuition we just get so many fears attached to those channels and yeah so I don't know just the archetypes are always like revealing more facets that I don't always see until a human like kind of expresses a side of them that I haven't observed before so that's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like nerding out over here.
0: For those of us like me who aren't familiar with tarot, Erin, you've mentioned a couple of times this being an emperor year and seeing some correspondence between emperor and the 2020 astrology. Since you're both working with tarot, would you guys talk about what this year is about in your framework and how you are approaching working with it? Yeah, so the
2: emperor is f- number four, and 2020 is a two plus two is four year. So it can correspond to the emperor and also the fool, which is zero, because 22 is also associated with zero, the fool. So emperor is the archetypal father, or I see it as the you know essential role that it is providing as the protector and provider. To support the empress and the life that the empress brings through so i see the empress and the emperor as these archetypes of sacred partnership that when working in right relationship see to it that new life is nurtured and supported to grow and actualize the purpose that it is meant to fulfill and when we're born into systems that aim to hijack all life force energy to power the system, does not have any care for the well-being of those life forms involved. Like we're not able to fulfill our purpose. So, you know, the tarot has helped me understand this through many different archetypes, but the themes that the emperor is putting forward for us is really about personal power boundaries consent, how we take up space, how we are afraid to take up space because we've been conditioned in hierarchy to go into patterns of compliance when authority figures are involved, and just our relationship to systems, and how we plug ourselves in to power the systems, and how we participate, and how we Keep these systems going, even when we don't want to, or even when we feel soul sucked. You know, I'm talking mostly from the perspective of someone who has privilege, uh, and I'm speaking mostly to those who have privilege within these systems. You know, about like how we engage with our power, and you know where we allow abusive and oppressive authority figures to continue to perpetuate these patterns. So for emperor year themes and just being in a pandemic and at a, a shelter in place, stay at home order, the theme of physical boundaries is just so everything right now. Um, it's kind of blowing my mind. The theme of our dependence on systems to protect and provide for us, you know, we're waiting for a $1,200 checks. Uh, we're waiting for unemployment. It's not showing up, you know, these themes of, uh, early childhood trauma, abandonment, not being able to depend on those caretakers or those authority figures to just provide basic needs. It's wild. And kind of before the pandemic outbreak, before 2020, I was just anticipating that the work this year was really going to be about individuals coming into their power mentally, emotionally, and spiritually And the main impression that I was getting from the archetype about what our work was around, how we're conditioned to grow up physically, but to remain in sort of childlike states of mind, emotion, and spiritual expression, because that's how a hierarchy can maintain this energetic power structure. So that was like the main big download that I was sitting with and attempting to translate And it just came very clear with the emperor because the emperor to me is this representation of the systems that are manifested as, you know, complex oppression, but the emperor is also a vision of what systems could be if they were built in right relationship to support and to protect and to ensure that all life forms are supported to exist and to fulfill you know whatever our authentic individual purpose is so that's kind of my multi-layered take on the emperor archetype and how a lot of these themes that we're experiencing with a pandemic and with oppressive systems and fascism and just all these really intense things that we are going through and experiencing in our world, you know, how they point back to our individual development.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, thinking about this time as a time to grieve, because I think a lot of people either are building more defenses around their consciousness. So they don't see what's actually happening or they're having a place where they're really grieving you know, some of the things that you named, right? Like really witnessing how negligent the system is, how um, much we have been abandoned. And, and then also, I think on the other side of it, I've also been witnessing so many people kind of coming into their power and taking responsibility for certain things and being like, I'm going to start producing masks. I'm going to start offering things. I'm going to be creating herbal remedies for my community, like, and kind of stepping out of that, as you were saying, Erin, that like childlike, like, I'm just waiting for someone to help me. Like, cause I know that that's how we've been conditioned, but I do feel like mm-hmm. there is this like grieving of like letting go of that role and realizing that we're the answer. We're the ones who are coming to su- rescue us. And then also mm-hmm. what's interesting that I'm um, bringing up the Fool energy this year, when I did my own personal tarot reading, the fool was a card that came up for me in my own like kind of year reading. And I've kind of been sitting with that so much around just you know we're kind of asked to be children in certain ways but then we're also like kind of stolen like our you know our ability to dream and imagine and to create things because that's also not in the service of this system you need someone who as you're saying I I love the way you're talking about having your life force sucked or your life force kind of taken because I do feel like that's so much of this system like wants that energy directed towards it and I think so many of us are like having that time to sit with our own energy or with our own creativity with our own consciousness and I think this is a really powerful time to start to kind of bring in some of that full energy and really start to kind of dream and envision and create and to start to kind of play around with what it could mean to actually create systems that are are nurturing, are caring, are protective um, outside of the, what we've been given and shown. Because I think that that's also a big way that we have have not been allowed to dream and envision is that for all of our lives, we've been told we're not allowed to even try to create another way to sustain ourselves or even try to create a way to have mutual like support with one another so that to me is also like where the fool is really powerful is like a big disruptive energy that comes in and says like let's start over let's not be afraid to fail let's not be afraid to fumble into something and I think there's such deep wisdom in that especially because a lot of people just want to go back to normal and like there's okay. this like belief that like we can return back to something that was already so problematic and was already, like, you know, Armageddon for so many people and so many animals and plants on on this planet that... I'm I'm really hoping there is this like deep awakening that's happening, and I've been witnessing it. Like I think my mom has been posting like anti-capitalist information and just things that are happening where I'm witnessing there is like a shift happening, a mm-hmm. transformation happening within folks. And I do think you know there is like a lot of of grief, of loss, of like wow, I'm losing what I was told was my protection, what I was told was my source of safety and comfort. And I think for a lot of marginalized folks, we've kind of been grieving that for a long time, right? We've been grieving Mm -hmm. that, like loss of connection, loss of protection. I, in some ways, like I feel blessed as a queer person that I, I had to deal with this at a long, a young age that I had to realize for myself that I needed to start building like a network and a family and connections because that wasn't going to be there for me and that in some ways has really helped me really understand like the enormity of what needs to happen with the world that we're in is like there's so much need for transformation. And, but I do feel like that is where creativity is such a powerful tool because I know that we have with deep within us a way of recreating this world in a way that is more just. And I think we're literally living in a world right now where the sole purpose is to exploit and oppress and extract. Like, And so it's like moving even a little bit away from that to adding a little bit of intentionality behind it, you know, like, yeah I, I, and i think this is definitely in like my inner child like wanting to remain hopeful and wanting to dream in the midst of like what is something that is really dark and heavy and a lot of grief and a lot of sadness
2: mm-hmm. people can look to the fool as an ally too, uh representing our preconditioned self you know because for me uh the fool represents the essence of our being the soul that You know transcends lifetimes and you know is above and beyond the body and above and beyond the conditioned experience that we've had in the body and the part of us that knows that it is okay to make mistakes it is okay to stumble it is okay to be imperfect and the emperor is that archetype of you know real rigid binary right or wrong conditioning that's abusive you know, that has traumatized and damaged us so deeply that we fear making mistakes, which is part of being a human and it's part of the creative process. And so this point where you know I find people open up creatively is where they clear out enough of their programming around it has to be perfect, it has to come out and be a finished product, um, it has to have a monetary... <laughs> commodification value um, to be worth doing. you know all of the this programming that we experience around you know our right to just create because we're inherently creative beings and we're robbed of that like in our programming and in um, having to function and survive and get by in capitalism. you know creativity becomes a luxury for privileged people often times because when you're just in survival mode, you can't devote the time and space to your creative process. So I think that these are both really powerful allies for us in this deprogramming time, in this dismantling time, because, you know, we are experiencing the breakdown to this system that hijacked our life force and all of our ancestors' life forces to power itself, and we're in between the space of, you know, the new system isn't here yet, and we're going to be the ones that create it. I think we're still realizing that you know that we are creating it right now and all of the things that you mentioned where people are stepping into their power to do mutual aid you know people are naturally just doing the right action that is needed and humans are capable of doing that we don't need to depend on these old systems that take forever with their red tape you know to just make sure that you get that unemployment check you know or whatever else. So I do think that we have to lean into the hope and the potential right now because I do think it's the trap of the old paradigm to just go into the fear and the devastation, not to minimize the grief and loss and injustice that is happening because it's profound, but that because we are witches, like we are multidimensional, so we can see all of the nuances of what's happening and that There is a lot of amazing growth opportunity right now for us to become independent of these power over systems.
0: When you're both talking, um, I'm enjoying kind of thinking about where the language of astrology resonates and what you're saying. And there are so many things, but the thing that I've been thinking about the most is this ongoing aspect between two of the outer planets Pluto and Neptune and you know a lot of people have talked about the astrology of 2020 with the conjunction of Saturn and Pluto kind of kicking off the year and then the last couple of years what it's meant to have the nodal axis um, the eclipse points in Cancer and Capricorn which I think bring up a lot of what you guys were talking about in terms of these like authoritative kind of parental or paternalistic systems and the ways that, you know, we have kind of programmed dependencies or reliances that circumvent or subvert natural creativity and natural self-sustainability. And that there is a, a kind of karmic movement in the, in the evolutionary pattern towards more care towards this idea that you know as we care for ourselves and as we open up to grief you know rather than like emotional defense to actually being able to feel to our empathy then we open up to our intelligence so pluto and neptune are in a sextile aspect a 60 degree aspect for decades like they i think started forming this aspect in the early 2000s and it won't perfect until the 2030s and neptune is definitely one of the stronger I think spaces in astrology that speaks to like creative intuition and a kind of spiritual sacred force that comes through imagination and um, like intuitive creativity or channeling or just like joyful art making that's not trying to be something but that really has a kind of healing quality or healing effect to it and you know with these kind of outer world circumstances that feel so terrifying and destructive the way that it's it's forcing so many people into a space of not knowing you know like we've existed so long in this power over system that says like you know what's tangible you know what's in front of you you know the rules you know the laws you should know you know like there's so much value on like you should you should know you're an adult you should know and there's so much that we don't know and so i think a lot of what's happening for people is this kind of like cracking open to i don't know and that in that space there's so much divine intervention that's coming in, like Mm. so much Feeling tone and connecting tone, and potential for creativity, and this kind of like opening of intuition because we can't know it right now, and like that's just becoming more and more obvious. And so, I'm really, really curious about how this next decade, as this aspect perfects, um, like what's going to happen with creativity and with this essence. And when y'all were talking about the fool, I was thinking how this year the eclipses will shift into the Gemini Sagittarius seasons and axis. And I don't know you know what the astrological correspondence to the fool energy is. It feels very mercurial hermetic to me. And so Mercury as the ruler of Gemini um, is going to come in as, as like a really significant archetype with the North Node moving into Gemini, this karmic directional pathway moving into Gemini. And yeah, the, the foolishness of Gemini is what I was thinking of this kind of like my astrology teacher, one of my astrology teachers once said, you know, Gemini is the kind of communication that happens like this. And then she, she put her hand up to her mouth and like got right into my ear and went, Like this, like whisper, you know, like these whispers in the ear, and like the way that ideas travel through our immediate connections and the ways that we, as like friends or peers or colleagues, might influence one another. What you guys were talking about in terms of this growth and development of knowing our own magic, partially because of our friends are doing it, you know, and like seeing one another doing it and being like, oh, I could do that, you know, like maybe I should Mm -hmm. listen to this and this kind of, you know. I don't know how it feels foolish to me, except that it just feels kind of like irreverent and like, okay, well we don't fucking know anyway. So we might as well try this, you know, like,
1: Yeah and and, you know I wanted to share a little bit about like you know as someone who is now like being paid to be an artist like which has not been my experience for most of my life so before for folks that don't know this I am also a licensed psychotherapist in California and I spent over a decade doing psychotherapy and social work with folks and that's been a big part of my life and it definitely was a big kind of leap and I you know think of the privilege and access that it took for me to actually feel comfortable to take a leap and to say like, I'm going to step into doing art practice and like really kind of take on art practice as a way of living. Um, you know, and even though I'm now being paid to be an artist, I think I know something that's been really important for me has been to always have a part of my creative practice be a sanctuary for me and be a sanctuary from everything that's happening. And I think that sanctuary, um, is what's made my, even my own like creative presence so much bigger is because a lot of the things that I use in my sanctuary end up becoming spells and memes that I share with my community. And a lot of those come from my own kind of place of anger, rage, sadness, fear, like I bring all those to my temple in many ways in the morning. I usually work on these spells in the morning when I have some time to kind of be with myself and I feel like part of that is I'm kind of communing with the network, with the webs around me and really kind of tapping and feeling into the, yeah, what's, what's happening in the in the ecosystem, right? And I bring whatever that is into my practice and that's been such a like nurturing way of working and I feel like every time I post something that comes from that place, I always get countless messages from people being like, oh my goodness, I was thinking about that, that came to me in a dream, or just things coming together where I'm realizing so much, You know that we're so interconnected at these really powerful psychic, astral, like mycelial levels that, I think it's really kind of cemented that as a reality for me that like I'm, I am, you know, transmuting and transforming my own like pain, my own fears, my own emotions. And then I'm also working with the collective's energy too and I think that's something that has had to be like a powerful division for me in my practice now that a lot of my time is spent making artwork is thinking about like things that I'm doing that I know are in service of like let's say a project that will like make me money or that will become something that will end up somewhere and then also things that are kind of part of my own spiritual personal practice that and that also sometimes blends too and like kind of feed into each other obviously I think kind of Centering, you know, what's really important here is I think all of us from an early age have that ability, have that desire, have that affinity towards creativity in different ways. And I think that it's such a resource that people could tap into. But I feel like as we've talked about before, a lot of us have been kind of given noise around, you know, what art means, what being a quote unquote good artist is what being able to like have power within community looks like, being able to share yourself in community. And so I think those are all things that I really feel like I've been trying in different ways to kind of work with, because I know I was deeply wounded in that in those places too, being told that I didn't have the right way of making art. And so I definitely feel like those are places of resource and power that I really hope folks start to tap into more just because As you are saying, there's more time now, and there's also so much more emotion now, and so many more things that we're having to kind of transmute and connect with now.
0: In terms of what you just said, Edgar, and thinking about the online presence that both you and Erin have cultivated, kind of working on the platforms that you do, the virtual platforms that you do, and that the virtual space is like such an interesting space in the sense that there is so much freedom of expression and then there's also still these kind of paradigms around capitalism or fitting in, you know, trendiness or something that seem to get boosted in some ways by these media where we might be engaging with it and then thinking about like, oh, how many people are going to like that post? Or am I going to get this kind of recognition? Or is this, you know, fitting in with that person's thing? Or how do I stand out? Or this kind of thing. I'm wondering if both of you have um, a little bit of insight to offer, wisdom to offer to other people who are working with magic, who are working with creativity, but all of us who are working in this time right now where so much of our life energy is getting channeled into a virtual space. Even if we're not on the computer or on the phone a lot, I think there's so much influence that it's definitely in the kind of collective consciousness. I think it's wild. I mean,
2: I feel like I've learned more from the internet in the last five years. I've had access to so many amazing teachers and peers. I'm just so grateful for the internet. I think the internet is like a choose your own adventure space where like depending on and social media is just like people will talk about social media as if it is like the death of humanity or something or like making people stupid or like apathetic. For me, it's the opposite. I feel like I've found my people. I've found the teachers that I needed to have. I have found the community that I needed to support me into being confident in what I'm here to do. You know, like, I feel like I found my voice through having Instagram because, you know, these things I've always thought about and felt and talked about, you know, when I had someone around that would listen, um, you know, I just got better at talking about because I would just talk about it over and over again and eventually grew an audience, you know, and also refined my message and learned how to better deliver my message and how to be informed on important topics that I need to be informed about if I'm going to take up space I guess so i just feel like the internet is this space of multidimensional accelerated learning and growth because so much of our life was just you know 18 years in a in a very status quo type of classroom you know where these essential aspects of our being wasn't nurtured or encouraged to play or exist or express. And the internet can be that, you know, it can also be a space of toxic abuse and just regurgitating old paradigm programming and patterns, you know, like, especially, I think call out culture can be problematic. Propaganda is problematic, but I just really Want to work the portals of the internet that support my goals and my agenda and the connections that I want to make, which are really to anyone, anywhere. I'm curious and interested in connecting with people in different places and from different backgrounds and belief systems. And I'm interested in how we can connect right now. Uh, so that's mostly how I feel about the internet. And of course, it can be very isolating and you know, we can definitely get triggered and fall into these old patterns of competitiveness or fear, but that's less important to me to focus on. And I'm definitely just trying to utilize it as much as possible to do work in alignment with my values, hopefully continue to support myself as long as I can and just be of service as much as I can to as many people as I can In a way that's not hierarchical and really just encouraging people to step into their own power the way that I have and to step into their own form of expression and share that more freely, you know, and be confident and not afraid to put their own art or message out into the world.
1: Yeah, and I definitely feel like the internet has also been a place that has really validated me. And also I feel like it's connected me to so many people. I feel like intuitively I knew that there was a community out there, even though like I was, you know, saying when I was younger, I felt a lot more isolated. But I feel like it is such a blessing that like so many people are now able to tap into these, you know, other folks that they probably would have never met. And... That is such a gift, and it's also such a gift that we are also allowing ourselves to kind of recreate ourselves constantly on the internet and that it is a place where we get to decide who we are, how we show up, what we do, how we look. and I think something that has really helped me, too, is kind of trying to find that balance between, you know, as you were saying, like surfing the algorithm, surfing the likes and like, but then just allowing it to still be a place where you can show up authentically and knowing that sometimes that authenticity will either attract or repel people. And just kind of understand that that's your right to have that be your platform. I think I'm someone very much, and I don't know how people feel about this, but I'm someone very much that's like post if you have something to post and like, um, cause I definitely have had people kind of be like, you're only supposed to post once or twice or whatever. And like, I'm very much this person that's like, if I receive a download, it's gonna go on my Instagram feed or whatever. And like, part of that is like, I just know that it's like, I'm treating it almost like a journal, but also treating it as like a place where, you know, as Aaron was saying, our messages are getting clarified, they're getting transformed. They're also like co-mingling, co-cross pollinating with other people's messages. And I think that that is something that is so beautiful that kind of we start to create a culture and a narrative collectively across this medium, across this like web. And I also really do feel like the internet is allowing us to really feel into how psychic we already are. Like we're so sending so many messages across huge distances of space. And sometimes those messages are very similar. And I think that that to me really speaks of something beyond the internet. So it's almost like the internet is helping to establish something that was already there, but I do feel like this like brainwashing like took us away from. And so it's almost like we're recreating and reinfusing something into our systems that I think was there and that we're kind of reconnecting with what that means for us in many ways.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when I was nine or something, like the first time I really understood kind of what the internet was, someone was introducing me to it. And I grew up with a parent who was a witch and knew herself to be psychic and empath. But so when I heard about the internet, I was like, oh, it's training wheels for us to remember that we're psychic. Like she was always talking to me about how we can like clue in by sending messages, you know, and like trusting like first, first images that you get. And that in her understanding of psychic communication, it was like communicating through messages, communicating through sensation, these kind of like, immediate memes of a, of a message, you know, not like a big novel or something like that. And when I heard, you know, about like what the internet was capable of, that was my first thought of what it would be. And it seems really interesting that I also share a similar experience with what both of you have articulated. I find that I really thrive in a virtual space in some ways and that it's really like been a place where I can find like-minded community which has been a blessing after a lifetime of feeling like the thing that I was into was just like not understood as like this weird hybrid somatic practice. But I was like, it is a spiritual practice. It's healing. And like, you know, I was coming from trying to teach yoga and yoga studios, you know, and there was like no space for that. But especially now with so many of us teaching and like holding space, and I feel like I'm always learning from my peers like you know learning about tarot learning about spell casting and psychic transmission and stuff like that that it has really become a vehicle f- for me personally to remember that i'm psychic and then also like you're saying edgar to see that validated that you know like i've totally had that experience looking at your instagram where like you post something and i'm like fuck that was like you just said it you know you just said that feeling that i was having or mm-hmm. something like that me too
1: Same. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Constantly happens to me when I see other people's posts. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, thank you for saying what I was like trying to get out of me. (laughs) Yes.
2: Yeah. It's like, we're all, I don't know if it's like a Pluto in Libra, Pluto in Scorpio thing. I'm constantly thinking about generations and generational work and like, what is our generation exactly? And it feels very vague and abstract, I think, because our our culture just and capitalism and white supremacy, like does not have like an interconnected system for like remaining connected as you like grow up or something. It's like, you know, we basically erase elders in our culture and we devalue the young. So like the only people that are valid are, I mean, who like who is valid um, in our culture? So there's just so much erasure, and I just experienced with the internet, you know, like this interconnectedness where we can fill in some of those blanks and reconnect those threads that, you know, capitalism, it really effectively enforces this separation and this forgetting of, like, how connected we are and how essential... It is that we communicate and stay tuned into each other, like to fulfill our own life purposes. So Mm -hmm. I just think there's infinite potential there to remember and relearn what we're meant to be doing as a species, a really critical point for our species.
0: Do either of you have anything upcoming that people could know about or get involved with that you want to share?
2: Oh, sure. Well, every Monday at noon Pacific Standard Time, I host a free support group called Unity Immunity Community. Edgar has co-hosted with me a couple weeks ago. And it's basically just, you know, like go with the flow. Whoever shows up, up to 100 people can join. Sometimes it's smaller and sometimes it's bigger, but that's a space that people can sign up for if they uh, want to work with me for free. And I also am teaching regularly uh, online workshops about tarot archetypes. And I also host a virtual ritual on the first Sunday of every month. So I post about that regularly on my Instagram. And there's also uh, links to my events on my website, erinaquarian.com. And I send out regular newsletters, which people can also sign up for on my website. All of the work that I'm offering right now is kind of on a tiered pricing because I want it to be accessible and not cost prohibitive since so many folks are experiencing financial hardship now and before now that working online really gives me the freedom of making things affordable. And I can always let people in for free if they can't pay. So I just want people to reach out and ask if they want to participate in something that they don't have the funds to do.
0: Thanks.
1: Um, Yeah, and same, I have a website, edgarfabianfrizz.org, if people want to go on there, um, that does like list some of my upcoming events. I have been offering some free meditations on Mondays through the Benson Price Art Museum in Los Angeles, um, and that's going to be ongoing until the end of the month. I also have two upcoming workshops that I have on my website. One is on April 26th, that's gonna be about divination and creative practice and using that as spell work. And then also on um, May 20th, I'm gonna be doing a golden dome workshop around performance working with dark moon energy. But I, again, just like Erin, I always put stuff up on my Instagram and on my link so if you want to stay up to date that way. And I also offer tarot services and divination and Reiki with clients as well. And that's also like on my website too if people want to sign up. And my work has always been donation-based lighting scale. And so I definitely, again, like Erin, I want to make sure that my work is accessible and that it's also adapting to the situation. Beautiful.
0: Yeah. Aaron, would you be open to kind of bringing that into a closure for this episode, this episode, that's a spell or a ceremony? Yes. <laughs> um, so just to close out,
2: I just want to acknowledge that we've transcended so many things in this conversation through bringing our viewpoints together and, sharing them with people that we don't know the listener um, and that this conversation may find its way, you know, to all different parts of the world, to the future, to the past. And I just want to close on the note of possibility that conversations really create in the world, the space that is created when We just show up and talk about what we're inspired to talk about what is moving us at the moment you know what we've experienced and what we've learned and i feel that i've learned a lot listening to both of you and just sharing so put me on the spot renee (laughs) sorry
0: take your time (laughs) okay It'll trusting, it'll all get edited. Trusting into a your,
2: flow. E- your your editing magic <laughs> to to erase my nerves. So I just want everyone listening to just feel into the possibility that is all around us in this moment at this point of change that we are facing as a collective and as individuals. I want to invite everyone to imagine and explore their own spiritual and creative sovereignty and to really tune into and tap into the potential that that space holds to transform ourselves, our lives, our world. I want to invite everybody to think about how our individual experience and expression really can impact others and the whole collective and to explore the highest potential of your impact to add your life force to the healing work that is happening on the planet at this time to go back in time and into the future to create a harmonious world that exists in right relationship that outlives these Old paradigm systems that have restricted and impacted ourselves and our ancestors in, in so many harmful ways that today there's a new possibility of existing differently. And as much as none of us know how this is going to play out or what it's going to look like or how it's going to go down, we can just take it moment by moment, day by day, and really work to create sacred, sovereign space in our minds, emotions, spirits, in our physical spaces, and to really support our loved ones and doing the same, really support the people that we know, our coworkers, our colleagues, our neighbors, in doing the same because we are all in this intense void space of not knowing what's next. When you tap into that space, you can feel those of us who have already been working here, who have already been working to create space you that's a little safer and a little more padded so that you don't feel so alone like you have to do it and figure it out all by yourself we're all really connected and working here together And I am just really grateful to have company in this space. So thank you for being here. Cool.
0: Thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with both of you. And um, I really hope we can continue the conversation. I'd love to get to know both of you better.
2: Anytime.
0: For more information about Erin and Edgar and their work, take a look at the show notes. Be sure to follow Embodied Astrology on social media at Embodied Astrology on Instagram and Facebook. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends and networks and tag Embodied Astrology on any posts you make. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe.